One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing? Well, I'm back, but I'm not back. So yes, I've had my little holiday break. I hope you're okay. Sorry, I haven't been here for a couple of weeks, but I'm actually recording this episode and the next one before I go, just to give me a bit of time when I come back that I'm not having to throw everything in the washing machine and record a podcast at the same time. Will it work? Probably not, but we'll give it a go. So this is your post-holiday, pre-holiday recording, if you know what I mean. Basically, it's chaos as usual. Oh, and before I go any further, I need to say a big hello to everybody in Grade 8 at the Shanghai Experimental School. Hello, Grade 8. They very kindly asked me to record a little video with some YA book recommendations for them, which I did in June. And I just hope you're well and that you're enjoying my book recommendations. No, no pressure at all. But yes, there is nowhere to hide from Philippa and her book reviews. You could go to school in Shanghai and you still have to listen to this voice. How bad is that? Anyway, what isn't bad are the books that I've got to talk to you about today. Some absolute stunners. Very excited. So I better tell you what they are, hadn't I? So we've got A Game of Lies by Claire McIntosh and Claire's very kindly coming on to talk to us about that brilliant book. We've also got All of Us Are Broken by Fiona Cummins and Fiona's coming on to talk to us about that brilliant book. We're also going to review The Vanishing of Margaret Small by Neil Alexander. That was an audio book. The Housekeepers by Alex Hay and I Wish We Weren't Related by Radhika Sangani. Those are your books. Let's get stuck into it straight away. So let me read you the blurb of A Game of Lies by Claire McIntosh. Honestly, the premise of this book is just superb. Here we go. Stranded in the Welsh mountains, seven reality show contestants have no idea what they've signed up for. Each of these strangers has a secret. If another player can guess the truth, they won't just be eliminated, they'll be exposed live on air. The stakes are higher than they'd ever imagined, and they're trapped. The disappearance of a contestant wasn't supposed to be part of the drama. Detective Fionn Morgan has to put aside what she's watched on screen and find out who these people really are, knowing she can't trust any of them. And when a murderer strikes, Fionn knows every one of her suspects has an alibi and a secret worth killing for. <laughs> well, let's go and talk to Claire now. Well, it is my huge joy to welcome back to the podcast the one and only Claire McIntosh, whose latest truly 
fabulous book is called A Game of Lies. Claire, welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to have you back, as I say. Now, let's start with you reading a little bit about this book for us. Okay, so this is a section from chapter three. Welcome. The presenter gives a dramatic pause to Dragon Mountain. The contestants' cheers are drowned out by the chorus of It's Penadraig! from Ellen's Lounge, almost certainly echoed in every house in Concoid, Ellen thinks. Dragon Mountain indeed, Bobblebach. They were going to use the Welsh name, Caleb said, but Roxy couldn't say it properly. If people can't say it, they shouldn't be on it, Ellen says tartly. Ladies and gentlemen, Roxy Wilde has a twinkle in her eye. You think you're here for a survival show, don't you? There are shouts of yes from some of the contestants. Pam and Ryan exchange uneasy glances. Roxy delivers her punchline with panache. You're wrong. What does she mean? Ellen waits for Caleb to explain, but the lad looks as confused as the rest of them. All of you have a secret, Roxy says, something you've worked hard to conceal from your friends and family. The camera closes in as she smiles wickedly at the seven contestants. You're not only competing for cash, you're competing to keep your secret. You're competing to avoid exposure. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, yeah, what a what a start to this to this interview. Can you give us a bit of a summary about this book? We've heard quite a bit on that, but yes, tell us a bit more. Yeah, so it is set in a reality TV show, uh, which is one of my guilty pleasures. And these contestants, as we've heard, think that they are about to spend a fortnight on the Welsh mountains doing kind of SAS survival type things, you know, catching fish and lighting fires and abseiling. And now the cameras have started rolling and we suddenly discover the stakes are so much higher than that. So Fionn Morgan, who is my lead detective, she gets involved in the show fairly early on because one of the contestants goes missing on the second day of filming, so the morning after this this bombshell's been dropped. And so it's a missing person investigation and then things go from bad to worse, there's a murder and it's an impossible murder that nobody could have done. Everyone has a motive, but everyone has an alibi too. Oh, wow. Makes me want to read it all over again. I mean, apart from the murder side, I would love to see this as a TV reality programme where the (laughs) emphasis is switched so much. It would be the cruelest, cruelest reality TV show. I had this conversation when I pitched the idea to my editor where she said, is, is this a bit like too far? You know, is it, is it plausible? And so I looked at some of the worst reality TV shows that have ever aired. And some of them, honestly, some of them are horrific. So there was a show, I can't remember what it was called, but it put... Ordinary, it told ordinary people that they were going to go into space and so it put them through a space training program and then it put them into orbit except they were just kind of flying over Milton Keynes or something and so it made utter fools of them. <laughs> there was a show called Who's Your Daddy where an American woman who didn't know her biological father had to choose between sort of 10 men that were being presented to her to see if she could find out which one was actually her father. I mean, there there are some horrific reality TV shows. So 
I think this is quite tame, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm always conscious in watching reality TV, not that I ever do, of course, <laughs> of the manipulation. And in a way, I love the premise of this book because it, it's it's out there. There's no hiding from it. We, you know, we know how the tables have turned. I just thought it was a brilliant concept what inspired you what what was that moment so precisely that that manipulation so I was watching Married at First Sight and thinking about how scripted it all is really I was reading an article about the continuity errors in Married at First Sight which made it very obvious that things had been re-recorded and re-recorded uh you know recorded on different days and a lot of interviews with people who had been on reality TV shows saying, you know, they took that out of context. They literally took a line that I'd said about someone else and then they showed it, they, they spliced it into a scene where we were talking about something something different. And I wanted to write about that difference between perception and reality and about the way that the contestants in shows like this are pitted against each other. So they're being manipulated, but also how we're being manipulated. And we think we're in control when we watch television. And particularly if we're watching something that's supposedly real, then we we kind of, you know, we feel like we should be trusting it. And we're being played right from the start. You know, this is Here's the character who's being cast as the villain. Here's the love interest. Here's the the class clown. They're telling us how to feel. And that book just helps to expose that. Now, let's talk a little bit more about DC Fionn Morgan. What a character. Can you tell readers or listeners a little bit more about her? I love Fionn. I love her so much. She is a nightmare to work with. <laughs> there are every, people. So I used to be a police officer and there are bits of me I think in Fionn no I don't think I was a nightmare oh. but I was definitely quite sort of chippy when I joined the police I I was yeah quite forthright and Fionn is very very forthright she is fiercely proud of being Welsh she's first language Welsh and lives in a, a Welsh-speaking community in North Wales which is kind of based on where I live in North Wales yeah she doesn't she doesn't work well with other people. So there's a line somewhere in the book where someone, her colleague George, says that Fionn is a, a an introvert, and Fionn says, "I'm I'm not an introvert. I just I just hate people." And that's kind of her standpoint. Uh, so she would far rather work on her own. She'd like to take her car down to the lake or up a mountain pass and just sit and do her paperwork there rather than be in the office. And actually, we join her in this book in a game of lies at a point where she's being made by her DI to come into the office every day, which, you know, is fairly standard, but she's really struggling with that. And I thought the storyline was very clever. How did you manage the plotting of it? Was it like a line of duty wall with strings going from one piece of paper to another? Ah, you know me so well. I, I do plot my books in forensic detail as though I'm uh, heading up a murder investigation. Yeah, it is It is a bit like that. You know, I, I, I knew the type of book I wanted to write. So I knew I wanted to write a kind of Agatha Christie-esque mystery with this contemporary edge, you know, I, sort of if, if, if Agatha Christie did reality TV shows, you know. <laughs> and that meant that I wanted it to be the sort of book where everybody could have killed the person who is ultimately killed. So everyone needed a motive. 
everyone needed opportunity, everyone needed means, and then the investigation has to kind of, you know, eliminate people. Because I love that sort of book as, as a reader. But what that means in plotting terms is, you know, that you're almost creating multiple mini stories because you've got to, you're not eliminating anyone straight away. You've got to follow their story through to the end. And that's not something that I can hold in my head. I'm sure other authors could, but I can't. As I read a book, I think, oh, it must be very easy to write. Yet when I've tried to write something, I find it impossible. I don't know how you manage it because it's dropping these things in so that we're aware of them, but we don't realise the importance of them and keeping these little moments. You're laying all these breadcrumbs for us. I just think it's uh, standard. Yeah, definitely breadcrumbs. Or I, I think of it a bit like planting seeds. So I will, I will plant a seed early in the book and then I might choose to water it again. So I'll kind of, you know, I'll mention it. I'll raise it again. I'll refer okay. to it. There'll be some kind of reminder for the reader. And then at some point I'm going to, harvest whatever it is that I've planted and that might be quite early on so I might be seeding in a red herring that ultimately I'm going to pluck out of the ground and show the reader that that that, you know you you were following the wrong trail or I might be burying those seeds really quite far down they're definitely there and if you were a very very good reader you'd have seen them but I'm not going to harvest that till the end and that's you know the big the big reveal and I do love that game playing because the thing about crime novels is they are a they're a cat and mouse game between the villain and the hero but they're also a cat and mouse game between the writer and the reader and I love that kind of parallel game playing and we all want to be surprised and just completely taken in and yet believe it and and trust you as an author and trust Fionn as sort of the the main character in in my eyes and and that's what what we get yeah we have to feel like we're in a safe pair of hands and Mm. some of that comes if you are reading a book by an author that you know well you know their work and then I think you immediately trust the author a lot of it just comes from those opening pages you know that and that's why they're so important because they set the tone for the rest of the novel I'm I'm a big fan of of books that have a a little bit of element of surprise in the very first pages and that's sometimes to do with character or where we are you know we have it in the last party which is the first book in in the Fionn Morgan series we meet her in a particular circumstance where perhaps we think she's looking at a dead body and actually she's she's in bed with someone so those kind of those scenes that just destabilize us slightly I really love as a reader because they make me think, oh, I'm in for a really fun ride. It's like going on a roller coaster. There'll always be that little kind of bump at the beginning that makes your heart flutter. And it is nothing compared to what's coming down the track. But nevertheless, it gives you that that feeling of excitement early on. And yeah, I wanted to mention The Last Party because although... This book, A Game of Lies, is the second in the series. They can be read completely standalone. You don't have to have read The Last Party to have to really enjoy A Game of Lies. No, absolutely. I'm really I've always been very adamant about that, that I want them to be linked standalones rather than a series. And of course, I guess people that read from the beginning are going to have that slight added extra that they'll follow the characters through relationships so I I find it quite frustrating if I feel like I've missed out on something because I've not read the previous book and certainly if I come to a 
a book and it sounds amazing, but it's book eight in the series, I'm less mm. likely to read it because I, you know, I don't know if I want to invest in another seven books before I really know whether I enjoy it. And so if a series book is presented to me as something I can read as a standalone, that's the, the sweet spot. And that's what I yeah. wanted to do with The Last Party, with A Game of Lies and with as yet untitled book three. <gasps> well, I was going to say what next. So are we to expect another in the series that isn't a series but could be a series if you wanted it to be a series <laughs> we are yes absolutely and I'm I'm writing it now uh, and I don't really know what it's about except that there is a whitewater rafting center and a body in a canoe and Fionn and Leo of course again because Leo is the other detective in in this series that's not a series and he is kind of Fionn's counterpart. He, he is from Cheshire, so across the border. The, the All the action in these books takes place on the border between England and Wales. And so very often Fionn and Leo have to work together. Uh, and it's not a massive spoiler to say that there's also a, a relationship between the two of them on a personal level as well. Indeed, yes. Just interested though, your name now is synonymous with brilliant books you know you're an auto buy for so many of us readers does that I mean obviously as an author that must be a wonderful position to be in but does that bring more stress and responsibility I think it it brings a, a huge amount of pressure certainly and yes and responsibility to deliver what my readers hope for and expect but I think it also brings a, a tremendous amount of freedom and privilege because I'm able to say to my publishers, this is a book that I would like to write. You know, how, how do you feel about that? And, and not mm. feel pushed into a particular box. You know, if you look at my, my backlist of titles, they, you know, that, that there are there are very, very strong common elements that run through them all. They all have very strong female characters. They all have um, quite unusual structures. They all have pretty big twists in them, but they're not the same type of book. I Let You Go was a psychological thriller. I See You and Hostage are much more action thrillers. Hostage is definitely an action thriller. After the End is contemporary drama perhaps a medical drama, might even be slid onto a women's fiction shelf if, if some shops have those. And now The Last Party and A Game of Lies are would probably be shelved under procedural or in America they're mysteries rather than thrillers. So I kind of, I feel as though the success that I've been given by my readers has enabled me to be really flexible with the genre that I write in, which is really lovely. Mm. But as you say, that the key element of those twists and, you know, we trust you, we know we're going to be rewarded for sitting down and reading a Claire Macintosh. So I shouldn't keep you much longer because you should be writing more. But we come to the final question, which is the most crucial one on this podcast, Claire. And it is, what biscuit was powering the writing of A Game of Lies? What was your biscuit of choice? So in between The Last Party and A Game of Lies, I discovered that I was intolerant to gluten, which had a major impact on my biscuit life. And so no longer could I mainline bourbon biscuits. And now what I have are uh, Nen gluten-free ginger 
biscuits, sort of oaty things, which actually are really, really nice. But ginger, so that's that's a health food, really, then. Well, it certainly would be in my eyes. I mean, it's it's practically a, yeah. uh, a vegetable, isn't it? Yes, exactly. We'll go with that. Well, it's just been wonderful to talk to you, Claire, and I can't wait to hear about people reading and enjoying A Game of Lies. Claire McIntosh, thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So the next book I want to talk to you about is All of Us Are Broken by Fiona Cummins. Let me read you the blurb of this one. After a year full of hardship, the Hardwick family set out to the Scottish Highlands for a much needed holiday. They're about to cross paths with a violent couple, hell-bent on infamy. Missy and Fox have embarked upon a string of ruthless killings. Caught in the crossfire, Christine Hardwick is ordered to make an impossible decision. As the clock ticks down, Detective Saul Anguish is on the hunt to find the killers before more lives are lost. But when he finally corners the pair, will he find the strength to lay to rest the ghosts of his past? or will they break him? Very good. Let's go and talk to Fiona now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the wonderful Fiona Cummins, whose latest fabulous book is All of Us Are Broken. Fiona, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I love this podcast, so it's a thrill to be here. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Now, we're sitting patiently wondering if you would read a little bit of the opening of the book for us. Absolutely. So this is taken from the prologue. The Lodge on the Lock, 8.59pm. During the last few months of her life, 
Christine Hardwick had thought a great deal about death. The injustice of knowing one light would be switched off while millions of others burned bright and strong. How it must feel to exhale, knowing each breath might be your last. Did an afterlife exist? Or were those countless moments of love and grief and joy that represent humanity lost to the ether when electrical activity ceased? Yes, she'd thought about death, but never her own, until now. The gun was warm. She'd always thought gunmetal would feel cool to the touch, but the heat of the muzzle against her temple made her flinch like a burn against her wrist when she grazed it on the oven. From behind her, she could smell his sweat, taste it on her tongue. Oh, my goodness. Fiona, you're brilliant at reading. Are you narrating your own books? Do you know what? No, I'm not. But I mean, I really would. You know, part of me would love to have a go at doing that. But I did do once. I did do three minutes audio to publicise the audio book. I had to do it about 55 times. <laughs> so I think it must be absolutely exhausting to narrate a whole book. The only thing I think is that, you know, sometimes and, you know, Audiobook narrators are absolutely brilliant and kind of masters of their craft. But sometimes I, as a writer, would maybe put the emphasis somewhere slightly different to where a narrator might. So that's the thing that would be fun to do, to kind of read it exactly as I'd intended it. But uh, maybe one day. Well, you've definitely got the voice for it now. I, uh, I, <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, not that you've got time to stop writing, but it could be a, a, a second career. Let's start anyway. Can you give us a bit of a summary about this book? Yes. Yeah, so All of Us Are Broken. It's the second in the series featuring my, my young detective, Saul Anguish, who is a troubled young man, to say the least, who treads the narrow way between light and dark and he and his kind of partner in crime, almost forensic linguist Clover March, who he calls blue because of the colour of her hair, become involved in a very difficult case. And the book tells the story of Christine Hardwick and her two children, Galen and Tom. And after a difficult year, the family set off on a road trip to Scotland. But while they're there, they stumble into the path of an extremely violent, extremely damaged young couple called Missy and Fox, who are hell-bent on infamy. And they force Christine into making an impossible choice between the life of her 13-year-old daughter and her eight-year-old son. Yes, my goodness. What what a book and what a story. I dread to ask this question almost, Fiona, but what inspired you to write this particular story? I think I was thinking about universal questions and I know it sounds terrible I have a daughter and I have a son and I wondered what would happen if I was ever put in the position where I had to choose between them and I think it, it's a question that many of us could ask ourselves even if you don't have children you know if you had to choose between your mum or your dad or your brother or your sister or your niece or your nephew whatever you know sort of whatever the permutations and I was wondering whether you could whether you would choose and in the story I don't think it's a spoiler particularly to say that that Christine, she does actually make a choice. I wanted her to make a choice. I didn't want to kind of have this sort of premise and then not follow it through. So she does make a choice, but you'll have to read on to find out who she chooses. And sometimes when people are writing 
maybe a feel-good book. They're smiling when they're, when they're writing a comedy book. They're laughing. What emotions? <laughs> what were you going through, Fiona, when you were writing this? I think I've also been quite... I mean, I'm always quite interested in the dynamic between Bonnie and Clyde. And this isn't a Bonnie and Clyde novel, but Missy and Fox are damaged. And they're, they're sort of loosely modelled on them, although they're not the same. And I... I suppose someone said after they read a very early version of this book that the book is about love, actually, in all its different forms. So it's about, you know, the love, the, the, the physical attraction between Saul and Clover, my, my detectives. It's about the love that a mother feels for her children, for family, you know, and this kind of tainted but equally intense and meaningful love between my my killers Missy and Fox and I think I was exploring that idea but I was also just quite drawn to extremes what would make us behave in certain ways and you know how as well as darkness how love can drive us to do things too. And I guess it's also about self-love or lack of that makes people do things that other people wouldn't. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's always interested. I'm always interested in the kind of dynamic between certainly a duo who are working together, who are doing very dark things. You know, generally speaking, there is always one who exerts more power, more control over the other. And I was kind of interested in exploring that idea. I wanted to write dark story. It, you know, my, my, anyone who's read my books that I, that I have a dark, dark heart. And it is very dark, this story. And it, it's kind of having to draw that line between, you know, I don't want to tip into melodrama. I don't want to, you know, tip into... There's a danger as well when, you know, you are writing about murder after murder that there's almost... You don't want it to become even comedic. You know, it's very careful to get that sort of fine line between these things. And so that was quite a delicate balancing act. But, you know, you're right. I think a lot of the characters in this book have been neglected in some way or traumatised in some way. And it's exploring, you know, sometimes actually how people that do terrible things, you know, are almost as much victims as the victims themselves. And yet it's, I would say it's not a horror book. It's just quite a dark crime book. It's a dark crime novel. And what somebody said that actually meant an awful lot to me is that they found it really moving. People have said that they were crying by the end of it. But also that, you know, although it's a dark story, it is it is balanced by the humanity in the story. And, you know, that this that there is even a sense of uplift at the end, even though lots of people have talked about the last chapter. It's an interesting one because for the first time ever in my career, usually I know very clearly how a book ends, but myself, my editor, my agent, and actually quite senior executives within the publishing company, we'd be debated back and forth about which chapter to have as the last chapter, either the penultimate chapter or the one that we eventually went with. I always wanted to go with that last chapter, but there was a bit of discussion about that. I thought that was really, really interesting. So I'd love to hear what readers think about it. Mm, absolutely. Well, hopefully they will be as, I mean, blown away as as I was and everyone that's read it so far. And Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's just going to be interesting to hear that. How did you manage the tension? Do you have like a, a tensionometer <laughs> that you dial up and dial down? It's that simple, isn't it? 
I think it's really interesting. Like tension and pace are such a kind of delicately balanced device really within a novel because, you know, too much of it and it feels too much pace can feel relentless and you need to have light and shade. You need to give the reader a little bit of a breather too because otherwise it's just too full on. But I wanted to write a book that was quite tense and I wanted to do it the action takes place over about 13 hours I think I wanted to see and that that itself actually adds attention when you're working within a limited sort of framework like that I wanted to see if I could do it and I wanted and I really enjoyed writing it although the timeline was an absolute killer honestly I think if you look back at my tweets over last summer I was going this timeline of this book is because I had to because it's um it, it it's covered it covers a road trip and so you know, it may not look like it. Readers may not even care, but all of the timings are meticulously worked out. How far it takes to get from here to here has to marry up with the story. You know, and I spend a lot of time doing that for my own satisfaction as well. But so, yeah, I mean, tension and pace are, are difficult things to to balance. But, you know, people have said that they've, they've read it in one sitting, that they've read it with their heart in their mouth. And, you know, as a as a writer of thrillers, what more can you ask for, really? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So which is more painful, the plotting or the editing? <laughs> this is an interesting one because I am quite a slow writer and I don't write anything down. So I know listeners to the podcast will be familiar with the terms plotter and pantser, and I am your absolutely classic pantser. I, I, I write nothing down and I just start writing. But after having this discussion with lots of writer friends, I realise I do plot, but I just don't commit it to paper. I keep it all in my head. And so everything is in there and I know what I'm doing and where I'm going. So when I write, I write in quite a slow and considered way. And the benefit of that for me is when it comes to editing, I don't have an awful lot of edits to do because it's very clean and structurally it's normally fairly tight. I think with this book I went back and spent a bit longer on the ending because I was trying to get it quickly to my editor because she wanted to read it when she was travelling on a flight and I sent her a note saying the ending's a bit rushed but I'm going to work back on that So and that's what I did and, and so I mean that's the beauty of editing isn't it? You can draft and redraft but for me I suppose if I had to choose which is the more painful it would be editing. I hate editing because I have a very a low boredom threshold and I think well I've already written the book you know but I, I recognise that books do benefit from from an edit too. But you are very rare and unusual then Fiona because typically when I interview authors if they're a pantser so they're not doing all the plotting on paper then they spend the time that they would be plotting editing it and doing version after version. So you're very unusual that you've managed to... I think it's because I'm slow. I mean, I know quite a lot of pantsers who write quickly and I write... So I'm, you know, I'm writing... It's pretty tight and slick by the time I get onto the next chapter, the next chapter, the next chapter. And yes, yeah, sometimes that is a waste of time because you realise that you've written yourself into a bit of a, a cul-de-sac and you need to, you know, change things around. And that can be frustrating if you've spent quite a long time, you know, working on a chapter to make it really sing. But I just accept that as being part of my process. I suppose as well it's the journalist in you because originally you were a journalist weren't you Fiona? I think it is the journalist in me because I you know 
I always remember a news editor saying to me, you know, you the copy that you produce is really clean, it's tight and it's clean. And I think there's a definite satisfaction in that um, for me. That's not to say that I think my stuff is perfect and I do often go back and change it. But generally speaking, in terms of major structural edits, I don't really have those. Um, you know, my my edits tend to be things like, you know, the character needs a bit more fleshing out or, you know, we need to be a bit more convinced by this character or their backstory or, you know, or this bit's a bit rushed, you know, can you just slow it down a bit? You know, that kind of thing. That's what tends to be my edits. So what's going to be next? Will there be a continuation of any of the characters? Yes. So Saul and Blue are in the book that I'm currently writing. So they they are kind of, you know, I suppose they are, it's a series and we'll just see where it goes. I really enjoy writing them. It wasn't until I actually started writing these characters that I even felt ready to write a series. And my publishers absolutely loved the dynamic between Saul and Blue and asked me to to kind of sort of write them as a series. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm contracted for another two books. I'm writing that first one in that contract and then I've got another one to write as well and I, I think they'll all be Saul and Blue books and then we'll see where we are. Super well we come to the final question which is the most crucial one on this podcast Fiona and that is when you were writing All of Us Are Broken what biscuit was powering the words? <laughs> what biscuit was powering the words? I think a ginger nut actually I'm quite into ginger nuts at the moment yes a ginger nut but I do like the occasional chocolate biscuit although in a very tedious fashion I am on a healthy eating kick at the moment so there are no biscuits currently powering any writing sadly and does that impact on the words it would for me <laughs> I think it does actually <laughs> of course how can your work be I always say the best thing about being a writer is that someone gives you money to sit in your pajamas making stuff up <laughs> and eating biscuits right so moving the biscuits is quite removing the biscuits is quite a fundamental trauma but no I uh, yeah I know I, I do miss a biscuit, but my problem, Philippa, is that if I open a packet of biscuits, I won't just have one biscuit. I will eat three quarters of the packet. Well, you're good to only eat three quarters. For me, <laughs> the whole thing would be gone. But, but there we are. You're a writer and I'm not. And you can leave some biscuits and I can't. And there we have it. <laughs> well, it's just been great Brilliant. to talk to you and hear more about All of Us Are Broken. Fiona Cummins, thank you so much. Thank you. Excellent. Now we must go on to the next book, The Vanishing of Margaret Small. I listened to this on audiobook. I'm going to give you the blurb and all of that. And then I have something I need to say about this book. OK, here's the blurb. Meet Margaret Small, 75, plain spoken and a Scylla Black superfan. Shortly after the death of her idol, Margaret begins receiving sums of money in the post signed simply C. She's convinced it must be Scylla, but how can it be? To solve the mystery of her benefactor, Margaret must go back in her memories almost 70 years to the time when she was vanished to a long-stay institution for children with learning disabilities. Right, let's do the first few sentences. 5th of November 1947. I was seven years old when they vanished me. The rat catcher had done it. He stole me from Grandma. In the beginning, you see, I lived with Grandma, for Mother had died soon after I was born. On days when I was naughty, Grandma told me I was cursed. She said my red hair was the work of the devil, that I was a changeling, swapped by the fairies. All for what my mother had done. What my mother had done 
She wouldn't say, I learned very quickly not to ask. If I did, God help me, she'd get angry, give my legs a good hiding with the belt. I mean, I could go on. All I have to say to you is get this book and listen to it or read it. If you audiobooks are your thing, I'd really recommend listening to it because the narration of it is sublime. Absolutely extraordinary. It's it's just one of those books that stayed with me. I was sobbing at one point, driving a teenage boy, sobbing my eyes out. And with him just like, oh, she's crying, you know. I thought it was really good. Highly recommend. Yes, there's some upset in it. Of course, there's a journey, but it's great. And even the author's note at the end, which the narrator reads out, I I found moving. I just thought it was excellent. Bravo, bravo. So that is The Vanishing of Margaret Small by Neil Alexander. Next one, The Housekeepers by Alex Hay. And someone said to me, oh, imagine if you combine Ocean's 8 with Fingersmith, this is this book. And I was like, yeah, right. And then I read it and I I thought, yeah, they were correct, actually. They were completely correct. Okay, here we go. Mayfair 1905, the grandest house on Park Lane, has just dismissed its housekeeper. All manner of treasures lie behind the pillared doors and scandalous secrets too. With the event of the season looming, nothing must go wrong. But what no one knows is that Mrs King will return to Park Lane on the night of the ball. She has an audacious plan in mind and knows just who to recruit to help her clean up. Let's do the first few sentences. Friday 2nd of June 1905, Park Lane, London. Mrs King laid out all the knives on the kitchen table. She didn't do it to frighten Mr Shepherd, although she knew he would be frightened, but just to make the point. She kept good knives. She took excellent care of them. This was her kitchen. I thought it was great. It was different. I enjoyed reading it. It had the momentum. Um, I liked the setting of it. I I thought it was, yes, superb. A hyped book, but well worth the hype. It certainly delivers. I was hooked and I thoroughly enjoyed it. The Housekeepers, Alex Hay. Some great books this week, aren't there? I mean, they're all absolute stonkers. And the last one, I Wish We Weren't Related by Radhika Sangani. Now, let me read you the blurb of this. Riva Mehta is thriving, consumed in her career as one of London's top divorce lawyers. She doesn't bat an eyelid when her mum calls to tell her that her dad is dead, because he's been dead since she was five, hasn't he? If finding out her dad was alive until last week wasn't bad enough, his last request was for his daughters to spend 14 days in mourning at his house, which means Riva must spend a fortnight stuck with the people who betrayed her when she needed them the most her sisters. Navigating her absent Bollywood megastar mother, newly dead father and scheming sisters with only a temperamental boyfriend and even more temperamental cat by her side, it's no wonder Eva's hair is falling out. Could confronting the truth help the meters put aside their differences or will attending a funeral be the death of this family? Let's do the first few sentences. Chapter one, day one. Riva Mehta pushed open the double doors and walked out of the courtroom feeling like the heroine of the movie that was her life. She stood at the top of the stone steps in the glaring sun, 
beaming down at the world through her oversized sunglasses, allowing herself this one moment of pure, unadulterated success. Because she'd done it. She'd won. I really enjoyed this book. I did think that this book was going to be completely different because the title and the style of the book, I don't know, in my head I just thought it was going to be something different. But what it was, was consuming brilliant writing it uh, it is I mean we call them feel good books and sometimes we don't feel good when we're reading them because it's about death and upset and angst and families and all of that but I love the premise of it I love the characters the setting the writing is superb I just thought it was uh, yeah really really good so there we are those are your books shall I just do a quick recap oh and I should say apologies I've probably pronounced every name incorrectly today. I usually pronounce them incorrectly and nothing new here, but apologies if I have no offence was meant. Now, let's just recap on the books. We've got Game of Lies. No, we haven't. We've got A Game of Lies. How can I call it Game of Lies? A Game of Lies by Claire McIntosh. All of Us Are Broken by Fiona Cummins. The Vanishing of Margaret Small by Neil Alexander. The Housekeepers by Alex Hay. And I Wish We Weren't Related by Radhika Sangani. Those are your books. I'll be back again next week with some great books. Can't wait to talk to you about those books. But in the meantime, just, just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.